Hey, hey, people in motion, you're listening to What Does This Button Do? The podcast about hardtech. Brought to you by the Makerspace and hardtech innovation hub, Motion Lab Berlin. Please welcome your host Christoph, that's me, and Roy. Today with our guest, Mo. Hello, Mo. Welcome to the show. Hello. How's it going? Mo, great to have you here. Um, how how is how is how is everyone? Like Roy, you're sitting at the eLab. Mo, you're sitting in the kitchen. Awesome. Everything works perfect. This is the perfect setup for the the the, the technique had never worked better than today, right? Yeah. We had zero problems today. Yeah, flawless. As always, <laughs> as always. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're with Mo and he's uh, the founder of Polymath Vision. He's developing Karen. It's a robot that connects people to places, more or less. I think that's a good way to, to put it. But Mo, can you tell us a bit about uh, who you are and what you're doing exactly? So uh, my name is Mo Karawia. I am the uh, founder and CEO of uh, Polymath.Vision. Uh, we uh, were a deep tech company. Uh, we specialized in uh, robotics and virtual reality. Uh, basically, our flagship is uh, Karen, like you introduced. It is a surrogate robot. Surrogate uh, meaning, meaning that you can place it in other places where you are not at, and then you can interact with the environment. So it basically acts as you in other places where you don't physically have to be there. Uh, the whole idea is, uh, like you said, connecting people to places. So we are basically connected right now, the three of us. We're still at Motion Lab, but we are at three different places at Motion Lab. And the people listening to us are also at other places. So this is a form of connecting people to people. So the cell phone, the letter, uh, the video calls like we're doing right now. Uh, but we thought the future would be in just going beyond that into something that you actually can connect with the entire environment, just not the other person through the device they're using. So basically I have no access to the environment around you right now, uh, which is which would the access that I would have if we were meeting face to face. So uh, we thought that there's always gonna be the next thing. And then this, this next thing is gonna be what's gonna happen after uh, video chat. So we started with the letter and then we ended up with the phone and then the internet. And then now something is just going to happen afterwards. So we thought that would be that we need to actually connect uh, to an entire place, an entire environment. And uh, the way we did that, it was we, uh, like in a very simple way, we tried to re reverse engineer how the brain actually connects to reality and what the brain really understands and differentiate between what's real or not. So uh, basically the way we get it as human beings is that whatever we interact with, with our senses is what we, is what's presented to us is real. So whatever you can see, touch, hear, or uh, if you can see your place in the room you're in, like the spatial awareness sense, you can feel the heat around your skin. Uh, so that's when your brain starts saying, okay, this is real, this is what I should believe in. Uh, and then we created the surrogate device that basically uh, live transmits this information that your brain is looking for, and then just present it the same way that the brain would uh, normally realize it. So we don't do any photo manipulation, we don't do any editing, 
we what we do is just sync all these senses together so the brain can actually do the editing itself and can understand this and there's actually a nice trick with that that we can always tell if the sound that we're listening to is coming from a speaker or from people so we can always tell if this sound is real or if this sound is actually digital or even analog uh, the way that being is uh, our brain does a like a simple trick called the the cocktail party effect so that when you're speaking to someone uh, your brain just automatically lowers the other voices and then just improves the quality of the person of the voice that of the person you're speaking to so you can understand them better and have better information uh, if all this information is already edited and is being played back through a speaker your brain doesn't do that editing anymore so it kind of knows that this is a cheat or it's a digital file uh, so instead of trying to work so hard and cheating the brain, we just realized we give it the same way it is and let the brain do the editing and let the brain do the work. So uh, we can end up with a very realistic experience. I have a, I have a question for that. First, yeah. uh, thank you for uh, clarifying the cocktail party effect, which was something totally different till a couple of minutes ago for me. <laughs> um, Second, to give our listeners a more uh, visual aid, what we are actually thinking about um, in, in terms of your product. Like, how do I have to envision what you came up with? How does it, how does it look like? How do I, as a person, interact with, with your product once it's finished? So uh, we work, we're now producing the prototype. Of course, we have a lot of designs online. We work with a very talented designer here at Notion Lab called Max Stein. Uh, We, uh, like, I think it's easier to see how the product would look like in uh, a picture. Uh, but in a nutshell, it is a, a lightweight robot with a 360 camera and uh, a computing power, like a lot of computing power. So it's basically uh, an artificial intelligence on wheels. Uh, uh, we work with a lot of cloud computing. So uh, the surrogate is a self-reliant self server basically so it's connected directly to the internet it doesn't need any wi-fi or anything and then most of the work is done on the cloud and uh, the camera transmits that so basically on one side there's the camera the microphone the computers all the engines that creates the surrogate on the other hand it uh, is an app where the user can interact with and this app is on a phone or you can try it on the computer so it has this 360 view on a computer or on a phone. And what we recommend and what we're working with is these VR cardboard headsets, these uh, uh, VR headsets that you get and you can insert your phone in them. So you can get the full VR experience. Uh, and once you're connected to that through this app, you can uh, connect and control to all the electronic devices in the vicinity. So anything with basically Bluetooth or Wi-Fi uh, area. So uh, let's say you're at home, you want to access your computer at the office, you can just turn on the surrogate and then you have full control over everything basically because we don't need a lot, a lot of buttons anymore. Uh, so you can just push these buttons from home. Uh, let's talk about uh, security risks later uh, because it sounds like a, um, an, an interesting topic in that regard. But first, we have had in the past lots of computers or lots of robots on, let's say, two wheels, like on segways with just a tablet attached, uh, mm -hmm. driving around offices remotely. And we have seen these more often during uh, COVID. Yeah. Um, as far as I understand, and please clarify on that, 
the interaction, the user on the operator side, like I have my mobile phone or I have my VR headset or like my computer, um, the sensation that I get while operating the surrogate is much more um, involved in the actual target environment than mm -hmm. with just having a with just having a webcam and a microphone. Mm -hmm. Is that right? That's absolutely true. Because with a webcam, you would need someone to move you around. So a webcam is a stationary camera. So uh, without but there's, the camera, there's still a difference between a webcam I put on a on a Segway that's remote controlled yeah. and yours, right? You're you're creating oh, absolutely. Uh, so the, the webcam uh, that you are describing, there's a lot of those in the market and they have been since 2009. It's actually, uh, it's not a new technology, uh, but it is a conference call or a way of two people to communicate. So it's a video call on wheels. So uh, doing that, you can just talk to someone on the other side, but uh, you have no interaction with, uh, with the environment you are in. And you can only speak to the someone and the someone basically is controlling the other side of the conversation like you and I right now. Uh, so this is connecting to this other person, but not connecting to the environment you're in. It does give you some uh, freedom because you can move around with the camera a little bit. So you can actually control some of the movement you are doing, uh, but it ends there. And then more importantly, uh, we're looking at the weight and the duration of how long it works. So a camera on a Segway, I think it doesn't like, it's just easy to realize it's not going to work for so long because how much battery it uses. Uh, and then it's the same type of thing with the stream, because if you want a longer stream, you're going to just kill the batteries faster. Uh, so we're looking at about an average, which I did, like goes around 45 minutes of stream. Uh, we can pump that up to up to three, three and a half hours easy. Uh, the other thing is that uh, with these kinds of devices, you can use it as a webcam, like you're saying, but that's basically it. If you want to interact with the person on the other side, uh, you actually have to either shut down the app or try to work on something else. Uh, with our device, it's already a two-way communication between uh, two sides. So it just offers a lot more uh, freedom and space and a lot more opportunities of things that you can actually do instead of just speaking through a webcam on wheels. Can you, can you give us and the listeners like one or two examples of these implications of these interactions of how you, you, you would use this device? So we have already a few use cases that we have been working on for over a year. Uh, originally, the, uh, the project was uh, designed for something called the bucket list project. Uh, I had a, one of my favorite teachers in film school, uh, she had bad news from the doctor and she got some very short time. So she made a bucket list and part of it that she wanted to travel to places around the world, specific places like the Champs-Élysées in France, for example. And then the, the, the doctor said she's not allowed to travel. So we had to figure out a way to give her this live tourism thing. Uh, so first we started with a camera and a cameraman just uh, taking instructions over the phone and then it developed and developed and developed to where it is right now. So this is actually one of our main use cases. Uh, we have some uh, other use cases like for uh, hospital patients, uh, for extended stay, like people who have to stay for uh, say a month or two months at the hospital uh, through phase C and D of therapy. Uh, they can just 
stay this time at home and have full access to the doctors at the uh, hospital through uh, the device. So basically they just fit it in a backpack and take them, take Karen back home with them. And then they can uh, easily communicate with the doctors and the entire hospital staff. Also, uh, one of the use cases that we're trying to push now uh, very quickly is the uh, back to school program for uh, students to learn like this. So we put the surrogate at the, at the, at the uh, classroom where the student would sit, and then they can still interact with the teachers, interact with the students, they can still answer tests, they can attend school in one way or another. Uh, so this is what, like, these are mainly the targets we are looking for. It's just uh, like to improve the lives of people a little bit in this area. Yeah, absolutely. That's really, really interesting. Do you feel like the time that we're living in right now, also surrounded by this pandemic, <laughs> yeah. do you feel like like that, that helped develop this further or, or maybe it helped kind of set up the, uh, the atmosphere for it maybe? So we've been working on this since 2016. So it's okay. about five years in the making now. Yeah. And in, until Corona started, we kept, I kept saying the same thing, like I was saying in the beginning, this is, we're going to have to have the next step one way or another, this is going to happen. Like it didn't need Corona to happen. It was just yeah, going to be. Yeah, of course. And we were always getting a lot of pushback from people and a lot of pushback from investors saying that this is a bit uh, like a novelty item. You don't need it so much. Uh, but once the corona hit and people uh, started actually having the need for it, uh, everything just uh, <laughs> went on turbo mode. So, and then you were um, like, I told you so. <laughs> no, I haven't finished it yet, so I don't get to say that yet, okay. but uh, it's on the way. Yeah. Cool. So you have uh, right now, what's, what's the status of the project? Do you have a working prototype? I understand that right. So uh, the the... The surrogate uh, needed a lot of uh, design work, so we actually had to make three patents. Uh, we uh, applied for the patents last year, and they're in the process right now. Uh, we finished prototypes of uh, two of the patents, and uh, now we're working on the third. Uh, the streaming is working, so people can try this uh, VR 360 uh, stream. Uh, the robotics engines that, that we had to add into the surrogate, uh, all are working now. For the next couple of months, we are putting the final prototype together. It's like the, the last mile, I guess. Uh, so now everything works on its own. We just have to put it on together. So um, let's go back a bit and tell us about your team and yourself, because we have no from experience lots of people are out there and have the let's call it the the, the very basic idea i want to build a robot because it's mm -hmm. the technology is there and it's not that expensive anymore and if you take a look at like how far drones have come there's a lot of stuff to experiment with mm -hmm. but still we think it's it might be a bit more complicated to actually build a robot what is, is the, yes <laughs> What's the background of, of you and your team? And what do you think helped you most to come to where you are right now? Uh, so I think part of this is in the name of the company is Polymath, which is basically like a, someone who can do multiple types of disciplines of sciences at the same time. And this is what we went for, but with the entire team. So uh, most of our team members are multi-talented in several things. 
Uh, we uh, have Max Stein, the, our designer. He's an award-winning designer and uh, he's been working on the project for about a year now. He does the designing and the fabrication. We have uh, Mohamed Mazin. He's a rocket scientist and a space engineer. Uh, he has a double major from UC Davis in aerospace and mechanical engineering with an MA. Uh, we also have Majd Mazin. Uh, he is a wizard when it comes to cameras and connecting anything from anywhere to anything. Uh, he is a professional filmmaker in Hollywood and uh, we do the work remotely. He's the one who set up the hardware for the stream. Uh, we also have Eva Leitard, uh, one of the, my partner, and uh, she's a philosopher and she's the one with enough patience to work with the German government and translate all what we try to say now <laughs> into, <laughs> into bureaucracy. And trust me, this is a lot harder than it sounds. <laughs> so uh, uh, this is basically our team member. We have a few uh, freelancers working with us as well. Hopefully we can uh, add them to the team once we uh, get into the next step. Just a quick question at this point, um, because I've never heard that and it made immediately so much sense from your experience. And I would love to talk to your team member being a philosopher, right? This is, this is, I don't know, maybe it's as far as possible from doing hard tech or entrepreneurship, well, entrepreneurship, not in general, but um, having a philosopher, a philosopher, a velociraptor to um, <laughs> uh, actually um, challenge all the, the public funding and government that's Yeah. It sounds genius because someone who is always like on a matter level questioning life and itself. Yeah. And <laughs> it actually, you can, like one of the, the things that really, that this really helped us with was the, when you were uh, thinking about how the market would react to such a product. So we always also see like what the human being actually needs when they're interacting with this. And uh, we haven't, like, we came up with a business model that we're trying to push through insurance companies that was based on these philosophies that uh, if we can uh, rent them the device for a much cheaper uh, value that it costs to, for the bed, for the hospital bed, for long durations of stay, uh, they can actually hire a private nurse for every patient that they have. It will be cheaper to hire a private personalized care uh, than offer this care at the hospital. Uh, and that's, I think, one of the most important things when it comes to these, to having a philosophy, a philosopher on the team, is that it can show you still how you can actually make a good product, make some money, and at the same time, everybody can succeed. And you have the human beings' basic needs met, basically. I, I also, I also loved how you presented your team because you did the best till now. Why you were saying it, I imagined like a, like a superhero group, you know. You have like the rock, the rocket experts, and then you have the the film, the film guy from Hollywood, and then you have so that was that was really nice. No, but but it's really cool that you have like such a wide variety of, of skilled within your team, and I think that's really special. Um, and I also want to I want us to learn a bit more about like why you're doing what you're doing, which is why I want to go to the next segment, and this segment is called the Five Whys. So uh, the five whys, this is uh, a common technique used to explore the cause and effect uh, relationship underlying a particular problem or issue. Uh, it was originally developed by Toyota. So if it works for them, 
okay. can probably also, I can probably also work for us. Um, so uh, I'm going to ask you five questions with a why. Try to answer them like, you know, not too much in depth, like one sentence, a few words, one or two sentences. Okay, so uh, let's give this a go. All right. Um, so Mo, you are trying, you are developing uh, a robot that connects people to places. Why? Why? Because we have the need for this now and uh, it makes life so much easier. How does it, how or why does it make life easier? Uh, because if now everybody's stuck in quarantine. Okay, I'm not going to ask and, you why they're stuck in quarantine, but yeah, it's going to. And so now they're stuck in quarantine, so there's a, like an immediate need for it right now. And also, uh, I mean, think of it in the uh, in terms of applications. So if uh, you have a machine in a country somewhere and an experienced, skilled worker in another country, you can have this uh, worker work on this machine remotely. You don't have to have the people traveling so much, making all this pollution and all that. We can just stay at home or stay remote from each other and do all the work that we need to do. We don't have to communicate to uh, commute that much. And the other need for it is that uh, no matter how good the technology becomes, we still have this need to connect to other people. We still have this need to connect to some places, some memories, some things that makes us who we are. And I think one of the basic, one of the realizations that most people had during the quarantine is that, yeah, Zoom is not enough. Uh, phone calls is not enough. I still need to go there. I still need to check on the people I love and so on and so forth. So uh, what we have is just not enough and we need better. Right. And um, why do you think that, okay, it's a difficult one. Uh, why I'm do you? <laughs> no, I mean for me it's difficult, not for you. Um, why do you think that 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 people didn't really invest in these solutions till now and went with you know what they're used to, flying to places and wasting energy, wasting resources? It's the same. Uh, I mean, for most millennials, for example, there is a. Uh, like a real life case study that we all saw when we were growing up, when the cell phones first started, just a normal Nokia banana and all these old things, right? And then everybody was saying, yeah, well, we don't need these things right now. It's too much, Why? Right? Like people are looking like idiots talking on the phone while they're walking around. And little by little, just everybody starts realizing, yeah, this is the future. This is the way it's going to go. And then the next thing with the smartphones, it was the same thing. So you'll always get a lot of criticism and pushback when you're trying to make something that is not what the people are currently used to right now. And why and do you why do you think is, that that people have so much criticism uh, uh, about new technology or, or 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 things they're not used to? It's it's the word new. That's the key word here. Anything that is new, people are always suspicious of. Okay. So so last last question. Why do you think that polymath.vision that Karen can can be different? Because we hold off the most of the talks and the advertisement and all that stuff until we had something that is actually that people can actually see and they can try for themselves. Because you just can't pitch an idea if like if it was an idea pitched in thin air, uh, that would have made sense. But if it's something that they can actually use and they have a use case for and they have the need for it in the market, 
I think this eliminates the, or this becomes more important than the fear of trying something new. It's the same thing we went through with the cell phone. We were all afraid of it in the beginning and now everybody is using, nobody can live without it actually. So yeah, it just happens with any new thing, I guess. All right, thanks. That was uh, insightful. Christoph, do you have a question? Yes, several questions. Now let's dive, uh, let's dive deeper into the business side and the technology side. Um, but first, you already presented to us your dream team. You have a, a philosopher, you have a, a film guy, you have probably a driver and a specialist to reverse engineer. <laughs> someone, someone a, to weapon, a weapon specialist. Yeah. Weapon specialist. <laughs> So um, with this group of expendables, like how do you secure funding? Because not only are probably the technology in itself, the applications are a bit pricey, but also sustaining uh, a group of um, yeah. people who are very skilled. So, uh, I mean, it's of course a good question. Like getting to the funding is a steps of, like there's a lot of steps. Having a good team is one of these steps. Having a good product is another step. Having uh, clients or interest in the market or traction in the market, that's another step. So uh, now we are building these steps one by one. So first we need to start with a good idea and the development, then the team that works on it, and then the patents, and then the production, which is the state we're in right now. So I think there is a, a very good, uh, like one of the most important things that I've learned here in Germany is the baby steps uh, theory when you're building something. So uh, we are treating the funding the same way. Uh, just take baby steps. But still, you have come to the point where you are right now. So how did you do the... Is everyone working for free? If I may just play to no, be asked. So. Uh, these are all partners in the company. We all started like uh, bit by bit, they all started becoming partners. So some of them were paid in the beginning and then they became partners and some of them... And so it has a, like a different way with everyone. Uh, we are bootstrapping so far. So, but on the other hand, uh, like once this is passed, we make it together. So we're in this together as a team. Um, in regards to um, the bootstrapping and the funding you talked about, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned the back to school program as one of the options. That's, that's something you are thinking of. Still, school are publicly funded and pricing is, is always something. Um, mm -hmm. Just, I know you're at an earlier stage and not production ready yet, but you must have think about or thought about pricing. Like how do you approach this topic? And is there a way to like already put this product into a range? We already have a, a rental price for the unit. So uh, one of the biggest issues when it comes to uh, Uh, robotics is the devaluation of the of the robots. Basically, any company would buy a robot, and then six, within six months, a better robot comes along, and now it's not good anymore. And then the depreciation value is very high from one year to the next because nobody wants to buy old technology. So what we do instead is that we rent it on a monthly basis for a long-term uh, rental contract. So they don't have to pay the price all at once. And at the same time, if something happens to the robot, it can clear, easily be replaced. Uh, so the rental fee has a form of warranty in it in case something happens. And on the other hand, they don't have to make these big commitments buying uh, 
like a million dollar worth of robots. That's one of the biggest challenges in the industry right now. Uh, so we thought about renting the technology instead of uh, actually selling it. And we came up with a monthly rental price for every use case, depending on how much uh, development was put into the product and what's the running cost of the product. Because of course we have uh, like uh, cloud computing and server spaces for every running surrogate. So uh, according to these uh, prices, we uh, put a rental fee or a, rentally, a monthly fee for uh, renting the technology. So I um, expect that if people are interested or listeners are interested, they can approach you. We'll put your contacts, of course, in the show notes. Um, in, in terms of, um, I think security is, is always something that's interesting, but I would advise, because we're short on time, that people are contacting you in regards to security as well. I have two more questions. So, so uh, maybe just one thing quickly about security, because it's a big issue here in Germany. Uh, we, uh, yeah, we, we're working up to standards with everything. So up to the EU and the German standards with everything. All the calls are end-to-end -end encryption. So it's basically the same level that you used to get uh, on Mac or your iPhone. Uh, so the connection is secure from both sides and there's no way to monitor the, the encrypted. So not even we can monitor what the, uh, the users are using. And nothing is saved unless the user asks to be saved. Uh, and in this case, it's not open to all users. So it's usually working within a hospital or within a healthcare facility or an industrial mm -hmm. facility. So uh, all these things are on the servers uh, either way. So security, yeah, it is a big issue, but we we have some good ways to uh, keep ourselves secure and our users, of course. All right. One more in-depth question before my, my last really important question that's, that's okay. rather like uh, the major question, the elephant in the room. But first, mm -hmm. one more question. You, uh, at the beginning of the uh, our meeting, you said um, you have tried to or approached to uh, reverse engineer the brain. Um, if you can just really quick elaborate on how you approach such a broad topic, like how are you actually um, trying to approach it and solve this? Like so you're not we're from not, a biological no, no, standpoint. No, we're not, uh, I mean, we're not doctors, but we did read, read a lot of uh, uh, like neurological studies, but we approached it more from the artist side. So to give you a small example, Uh, if you look at a screen within the first couple of seconds, you realize what you're watching is a movie or a TV show or a TV series, whether it's an American TV series or even a British TV series, right? Uh, the actual reason behind that is that movies are always played back at 24 frames per second, TV series 25, 26 or 28, football games at 30. Uh, your brain doesn't actually count these frame rates but uh, it's just been programmed for very long to watch them. So it just knows the difference right away. Uh, to start coming more into the brain side, and this is where the research was, like we started seeing in terms of FPS, what is, how many FPS is that the, does the brain see per second? Uh, how many frames does the brain, the brain need to start actually saying that this is a, a a realistic image or a less or more realistic image. And then we started looking at other studies where, where they actually had different age groups and started exposing people to different frame rates and see how they got to see or how they got to uh, interact with it. 
And uh, based on this uh, on this research, which took about a year and a half, almost two years, uh, we started understanding how we can best uh, like translate the reality to the brain in the simplest form that doesn't cost us so much uh, computing power and at the same time makes it as realistic as possible to the brain to understand. Uh, so it's not just uh, biological because this is not something that is very new, but we also appro approached it from this polymath side. So we looked at the science behind it, the engineering behind it, the artistic science behind it, and why we actually behave this way, which gave awesome. us a, a better way to actually try to hack through it because it's a very, very complicated piece yeah. of organ. Yeah. Mo, uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for giving giving us more insight uh, about what you're working on. It's really interesting, and I know actually that um, a lot of people here at Motion Lab are interested in what you're doing as well. We have this segment called Community Questions. So before every episode, I go around and I ask some members of the team and the community uh, if they want to ask you something. So yeah. I have two questions for you today. Let's go ahead and listen to them. So. First question. Hi Mo, it's Taylor. I would like to know what your favorite feature is about the Karen. Uh, my favorite feature is that if you cannot, if you like really physically cannot go to a place, you can still access it. So for someone who's stuck at the hospital for a long time, they can't leave. Or someone who's stuck at home for a long time who can't leave. Someone with a, like a temporary or a permanent disability that they can't actually do something uh, by offering them the chance that they can actually do it. This is, I think, my favorite feature. Great. Okay, thank you. La another question. Second question. Here we go. Hey Mo, this is Guido. Uh, why do the legs have to be motorized? Why can't it be like a normal, regular tripod where you just fold out the legs? Yeah, we we had this question a lot. Uh, first it was, uh, this is designed to work with, uh, people who are in physical need of assistance. So they cannot set up, uh, something like this on their own. So for example, someone who's going through therapy, uh, an old lady in a nursing home, uh, uh, someone who just went out to the hospital and still going through therapy, they, you can't ask them to lift something that weighs five, six kilograms uh, above a meter and 50, like 150 centimeters up in the air and then use the other hand to set the tripod and all of that. So the whole product was designed with these people in mind. And uh, it made so much, it actually cost us so much time and effort to uh, make these legs like this. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think once we, once people start using it, they would understand the difference. Uh, the other thing is that when a doctor is uh, or a user is using the surrogate, uh, this sets it to the eye line. So, for example, if you are 175 centimeters, you enter in the app that your height is 175. So it raises the surrogate up to your eye line, so you have your natural view. If you're sitting down, it, it lowers it down. And uh, this is very useful for uh, doctors when they are uh, remotely working with patients. 
because the doctor would need to move around a lot to see different parts of the patient, examine different parts of the patients. Uh, so if it's steady, you can't ask like the patient or the doctor. Like, just imagine the, conver the conversation with the, with the doctor telling the patient, oh, can you please lower down the tripod a little bit? Mm -hmm. And then, oh, can you please just raise it back a little bit? And then the patient actually has to do all this work. So it, it was a big decision to make all these motorized robot uh, engines. Uh, it paid off really well because we had another patent come out of it. Uh, but I think for the user experience, this is very, very important. Uh, because if we're working with... Uh, people in need of help, then you shouldn't make them do any extra work. Mo, thank you so much. That was amazing. Good, um, thank you. A really great product with a great, great name. Give our uh, regards to uh, the team, the, the amazing superhero team and the teacher. And um, is there anything right now you want to plug to our listeners or uh, and or where can we find out more? Where can I go to uh, take a look at Karen? Okay, so the, the website is under construction. Uh, we had to shut it down because we also use it as the uh, uh, like the video streaming post. Uh, It'll take posted. a while until we release this, so maybe. Okay, we'll so I mean, it should be running up in two three weeks because we're yeah. using it now as the street. Like we put our web app on our website, so now we're just dedicating all the software for the stream. Uh, so that's why it can work from any phone or any computer or any type of anything. It just needs a browser, preferably Chrome. Uh, so they can visit us on our website starting next month. And uh, during this month, they can email me directly at mo at polymath.vision. Uh, mm -hmm. Or they can uh, call me on my phone number, which is on the presentation and also on the vouchers. Sorry, on the nice. uh, flyers. Cool. Uh, we'll put, so, of course, uh, everything in the show notes, like your perfect. homepage, yeah. phone number. You guys know uh, where I work, so you can also <laughs> come by if you have a question. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just visit. Great. That's a great offer. All right. Uh, well, Mo, thanks again. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you, Christoph, as well. Thank you to our listeners as well. Um, and I mean, that was another episode of What Does This Button Do? Um, of course, I invite you all to follow us on Instagram, on LinkedIn, Motion Lab Berlin. You can also check the show notes for all the links. Uh, we have a designated uh, website also, motionlabberlin slash podcast. You can also email us your questions and your ideas for the next episode at uh, motionlab, uh, sorry, podcast at motionlab.berlin. And I mean, for now, that's pretty much it. Yeah, so right. Again, um, uh, yeah. Quick last question because I have just right. here. Um, what does this button do? No, 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 don't, don't press that. <laughs>